0: Deuteronomy chapter 9. I'm going to read a portion of this. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation for explanation's sake. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 2. This is God's promise through Moses, giving them instruction before they go into the promised land. But he's very stout with them, he's trying to help them and protect them. And he says about the people in the land the people are strong and tall, descendants of the famous Anakite giants. You've heard the saying, who can stand up against the Anakites? But recognize today that the Lord your God is the one who will cross over ahead of you like a devouring fire to destroy them. He will subdue them so that you will quickly conquer them, quickly conquer and drive them out just as the Lord has promised. After the Lord your God has done this for you, don't say in your heart, watch this. The Lord has given us this land because we are such good people. Right? I'm so good. No, it is because of the wickedness of the other nations that he is pushing them out of your way. It is not because you are so good or have such integrity That you're about to occupy this land the Lord your God would drive these nations out ahead of you only because of their wickedness and to fulfill the oath he swore to your ancestors Abraham, Isaac and Jacob that word oath is referencing a promise when God promised you something it is an oath it is his word you must recognize that the Lord your God is not giving you this land because you are good For you are not, you watch this, this is like he, like just out of nowhere gives him a jab. You are a stubborn people. Remember and never forget how angry you made the Lord your God out of the wilderness. From the day you left Egypt until now, you have been constantly rebelling against him. Even at Mount Sinai, you made the Lord so angry, he was ready to destroy you. This happened when I was on the mountain receiving the tablets of stone inscribed with the words of the covenant that the Lord had made with you. I was there for 40 days and 40 nights, and all the time I ate no food and drank no water. And the Lord gave me two tablets on which he had written with his own finger all the words he had spoken to you from the heart of the fire when you were assembled on the mountain those tablets that were there at one point were also broken because of the rebellion and their frustration while Moses was up on this mountain while he was with God they the children of Israel felt very alone and felt just, just really disconnected and they were worried and they were scared and they didn't know what to do but really the real issue was that they were hungry they had missed the Egyptian food and so they thought they were there to die and so what they did at that moment they built a golden calf and began to worship it this is what caused God to get angry there are certain things in life that will come to you that will cause you to wait and cause you to be in transition but during that transition don't lose your faith don't get impatient and don't get frustrated and don't blame God. God has a plan. God has a purpose. God has a reason. Not everybody will go through the same journey, but also everyone goes through the same journey. In other words, your Egypt may not be somebody else's Egypt. Your wilderness may not look like somebody else's wilderness, but there's still a wilderness. But your promise still it comes from the same God who loves everyone and wants to save everyone and help your life be fulfilled. And that's the common ground we've got. He loves us so much. He sent his son and there's a promise for us and there's a fulfillment for us. And there are secrets that God gave to Israel that we're going to share with you today and you will enter into your promised land. You will say, I will. Say, I will. Say it demonstratively. I will enter my promise. In Jesus' name, give God one more gratitude of thanks. Tell him thank you. Thank you, Lord. And you can be seated. Thank you so much for standing and worshiping. We really have, I I know I do, I have a, a very strong desire to give strategy and insight that comes from the scriptures, you can choose to apply them, study them out for yourself, or ignore them. But but if you're new to Riverside, let me give you some insight, and let me help you understand something. We don't look at this as church in the traditional sense. We believe that the church is the representation of the government of God is that this moment in time is an assembly of God's kings and priests and citizens to receive instruction to go out and change the world. God wants to set your house on fire. God wants to revolutionize your family unit. God wants all of you and your whole house to be saved and serving God. God wants to revive some. God wants to renew some. God wants to save some. But at the end, God has a promise and a plan. God's promises and a plan for Israel was always to bring them together. He called even Israel his wife. He related to her and took care of her. Just the perspective that God had, and it was always about the family. We believe the family is the very first institution that was established in the earth through Adam and Eve, and God intended it that way, because we do do believe that God always wanted a family. The New Testament, the second Adam came, who was Jesus, and God called him son, and he called him father. This is still God's plan, and now you are the bride of Christ. And just to let you know, God is still having children. If you want to understand that, come to a workshop on a Saturday night. The next time we have spirit and water baptism, I'll explain it to you. But God's purpose and plan is way bigger, way bigger. The secret God was giving them to take their land was in his covenant. Those laws our commandments that were placed on the stone tablets written by the finger of God was part of the secret for their protection. Many times we look at rules as a to-do or what we can't do, when many times it's there for our protection, and that's what God wanted to do for Israel. They were fixing to go into a land of heathens, giants, that were pagan worshipers. And God was simply setting a standard for them to walk into it to obtain. So many times we look at rules as, okay, i got to do this. I have to do this. It's not about living for God. It's not about what you can't do. It's about what God has promised you and what you're fixing to walk into. You have to look at the benefits of, of what you receive out of a relationship with God and how the goodness of God leads us to change our mind and to change our thinking. Has, it, has God been good to anybody here in this building? Are you here this Sunday morning because you love him? Are you here because he's been good to you? Do you recognize that you could have been anyplace else, but you're in God's house and you're here worshiping and you're here listening and you want to receive instruction and, And it's all about receiving direction from God, and so it's a constant process. God's plan to give them a land that flowed with milk and honey, an abundance of resource, was wonderful. But what made it wonderful was the fact that they were presently in a land called a wilderness that didn't flow with milk and honey. Water came out of a rock. Manna came down in the mornings, but it had a very distinct taste, hard to identify. It didn't fulfill them. And all they could think about was going back to Egypt. They complained. The temptation in the wilderness was their own desires of things they've tasted already. Not everybody, Egypt's the same, but there are some things that need to transpire in your life when God brings you out. You can get saved and get delivered from Egypt, but still have an Egyptian heart. They were there for years, hundreds of years. They were there. They knew the culture. They knew the food. They they, they had certain appetites. And when they transitioned into the wilderness, they were free from the taskmasters, but they still had Egyptian appetites. What the wilderness in our life was meant to do, it was meant to us to go through, to starve out our old nature, and to receive a new heart and new affection. Everyone goes through a wilderness. Everyone goes through a process. Even Jesus himself was led by the spirit into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And where Satan tempted him was, was his identity. If you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, do this. I'll give you this if you worship me. And then finally, he was led out of it. And the scripture says, angels came, ministered to him, and then he began to walk in power and authority. After you're trying and after you've been through some things, there is a new anointing that God's going to give you and a new authority that God will give you. An abundance of land and resource that will come to you in your life. Unlimited resource because you can handle it. Because you've been through the transition. Life isn't always easy. Living for God isn't always easy, but it doesn't have to be made hard. If every believer would begin to understand that way, maybe you have some things that tempt you from the past. I don't know who I'm talking to. But maybe you have some things that tempt you from the past. But God has a greater desire to replace those temptations. And it may not taste good. And it may not be what you want. But at the end of the day, you're going to be a new person. You're going to be prepared to enter into the new season that God has for you. And you'll never have a remnant of temptation come back to you the way it used to. That's what God wanted to do for Israel. In fact, he couldn't do it for that generation that came out. He had to wait for the next generation. People that weren't used to the food, to the culture, to the comfort. They're ready for something new without having a remnant of the old. A new generation. That's what being born again is. It's a regeneration for a new generation. You don't have to wait for your daughters or your sons or your grandkids to have what God wants for you. You can be born again, and God can regenerate you and make you a new generation. Did you just catch what I just said? If you are born a certain way, you can be reborn with something else. I'll let you think about that. Exodus chapter 16, verse 3 says, here's the complaint of Israel. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. They moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Free bread. All the bread they wanted. They were fat. Had to be. I know what bread does to me. So they were full going into the wilderness. Then they went through this place of starvation, it seemed, eating gluten-free bread from heaven, right? (laughs) It's the worst bread in the world, gluten-free bread. (laughs) But now you've brought us into the wilderness to starve us all to death. I'm starving. It's nothing to eat. They had something to eat. They had something to drink. It just wasn't pleasing to their taste buds. In the transition of living for God, many times the word of God won't have the flavor that you're used to, but it will be the best thing you've ever had in your life. It will transform your life. It will change your thinking. It will change your affections. It will begin to transform you. And then when you find out the essence of it and realize that there's something to it, and he gives you revelation about it, then you'll taste and see that the Lord, he is good. And this is why David began to write and said that his word is like honey. It's strength to his bones and marrow. God's word doesn't have to be a a book of laws or rules. If you look at it closely, it is a book of protection, insight, strategy, love, promises. And it's telling us and giving us direction on a daily basis. God has placed his commandments within the word of God, not to keep us from things, more to get us into the promise But you got to have the other one. You have to have the other one. God has to keep things from you. But you see, he can't make you do anything. It's a choice. We have to decide in our minds. And you can't let anyone else persuade you differently. You have to know within your mind that the word of God is real. That God's word isn't just a story of history, but it's inspired by the Holy Ghost. It's inspired, and as men were moved, they writ the Holy Word. As men were moved on by the anointing, they inscribed what God was telling them to do and to write, and that was meant for you and I to place within ourselves and be there. But God knew it was more than just a written word that would change us, because a written word, even on stone, could not change the heart of Israel. So I have to tell you, just reading the word isn't good enough. But we need to experience the word of God. The heart of humanity, I believe, is so appropriate that when God, said, had his finger and he ascribed his commandments on the stone tablets. I believe it was a direct reflection of the hearts and the stony hearts of the children of Israel. Because you're going to find a transition that took place. You're going to find a change under a new rule or under a new covenant. And this is exactly what God wanted to do. The wilderness was a transition. It was a place where God was trying to get the Egyptian heart out of his people. And save them from worshiping idols when they entered their promise. Prepare them, prepare them in their hearts. Did you know the place where God really wants to take you isn't void of temptation? Did you know the place where God wants to elevate you isn't void of temptation? It can be void of appetites. It can be void of the old you. It, it will be void of an old nature. But you're still going to have temptations there. The children of Israel had temptation in Egypt in the wilderness, and the promised land. What would change their perspective, what would change it, would be the experience that they would have in allowing God to transform them. At some point, our will has to comply to the will of God. In other words, you may have a plan, but God has a better plan. You may have a plan, but God's got a better one. He's got a better plan. Here's what made him mad. Watch this, Exodus 3. 32, I'm sorry, Exodus 32 and 4. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down. Aaron, by the way, Moses is right-hand guy. (laughs) Aaron, the guy who was eloquent in speech. He was on the mountain base. He could talk, so he was leading everybody, persuading everybody, and he knew it pleased the people, and he molded it into the shape of a calf. And when the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh Israel, these are the gods who brought us out of the land of Egypt. Whoa. No wonder God was mad. God brought them out, and then, he, then, and then they said, no, 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 God didn't bring us out. This golden calf did. Really? That golden calf? Where do you think they got that idea from? They made an idol. Where did they get that idea from? Egypt. They still had Egyptian hearts. and They produced an old paradigm that God brought them out of. That's what he was trying to get out of their hearts, Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar next in front of the calf. Then he announced, tomorrow we will have a festival to the Lord. People got up early in the next morning to sacrifice the burnt offerings and peace offerings. And after this, they celebrated feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan. There it is. Reverie. Rivalry. You know what it says. <laughs> the Lord told Moses, Quick, go down. Watch this. Go down through the mountain your people, (laughs) God sounds Mexican right there, your people, whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves, how quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live, they melted down gold and made a calf and they bowed down and sacrificed, he saw the whole thing. God was watching the whole thing take place while he was in communion. God is everywhere at one time, and you can't surprise God. And you think nobody's watching. God knows exactly what's going on. And they are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Hearts of stone. Hearts of stone. Now leave me alone. So my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them, Then I will make you, Moses, a great nation. That's pretty powerful when God tells an 80-year-old man, I'll revive you. I'll make a great nation out of you. But Moses had a heart for these people, and Moses said, what are people going to say? That you brought them out to die? And he persuaded God, and God was merciful. And Moses went out and dealt with it. And God punished them that were rebellious. But here's the bottom line. All God was trying to do was keep the idols out of their life. And the very thing that God was trying to keep them from when he gave them commandment is the very first thing that they did. Hell always knows what you're supposed to be doing. And wherever you're tempted, it's an indication Of what God has planned for you. Wherever you're being attacked, wherever you're being tempted, is the very area of your life where God wants to bless you. Always remember God doesn't tempt, God did not cause the problems that we deal with in this earth. Someone said, If there's a God, why do we have bad things happen? When you study the Bible, It's through a covenant that God has with his people that the people make up in their mind where they want God to have full control through prayer, a relationship. God is not the author of confusion. God is not the author of the hurt. God is not the one who let the world go into chaos. Adam left his right to reign when Satan tempted him and there was a transference of power to Satan, and he became the God of this world. But when Jesus came back into this world, he came in with a new covenant and a new authority and a new kingdom that was greater than the kingdom of darkness that we're dealing with right now. What you're looking at in the world is the kingdom of darkness reigning through people who have idols with Egyptian hearts. But there is a group of people that God is raising up that only have one God. And don't worship any other false god. And where the fire falls and proves itself. Never in my life, and I'm just throwing this in there, but never in my life have I ever seen witchcraft become so bold around people. Never in my life have I ever recognized children being tempted by all these cantations and and, 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 and paraphernalia and things they wear. I went to eat at a restaurant yesterday, and I'm just going to get personal with you for a moment, but I went to eat at a restaurant yesterday, and there was a sweet little girl I saw there. My son and I were there, and when we were, when we were eating, and i, I getting the, the 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 menu and before we ate, and we were talking, and I thought, oh, this little girl's sweet, and then I looked at her closely, and she had this crystal on, and then she had an emblem of Satan right here. And I thought, that don't seem right. That doesn't fit her. And I thought the only way that could have possibly happened is if she had parents that taught her or she had been hurt by religion. Hurt by somebody. But what would happen, and I started praying and I thought what would happen if God would begin to move on his people and his people begin to arise and his people began to come alive. And his people began to come, become passionate. And I'm going to say this something, so put on your seatbelts really quickly, and, and, and you'll take them off after this. But, but we stop being so judgmental. We stop looking down on people. And we start seeing not where they're at, but where God wants them to be. And we begin to talk about Jesus in a loving way, not a religious way. And we begin to give hope and say there's a better way. And God is real. And God is love. But also God is powerful. And God is mighty. And God is able. And God can do it. So I say to that Let them build their altars, let them do their prayers, let them do their seances. But let us build our altar and let us build our place of worship and let the fire fall where the fire needs to fall and let there be. A people that rises up and makes the declaration that there is a God in Israel. That there is a God that's still alive. That there's a God that still doesn't worship idols. That there is a group of people that still love the word of God. That still hold it inside of their hearts. You see, you cannot worship God if you have idols. The fire doesn't fall on places where there is idols. Point number one, and here's the point I'm giving you. God's word keeps the idols out of our lives. God's word keeps the idols out of our lives. You know when idols pop up? Idols pop up when you're lonely. Idols pop up when you're frustrated. Idols pop up when you feel like no one cares. Idols pop up when you've been hurt. Idols pop up whenever you're frustrated. Idols pop up when you're hungry. When your soul begins to rebel and say, where's God when you need him? Watch this. Let me give you something real quick. Write this scripture down. Write this scripture down. Exodus 20, verse 1. Listen to this. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourselves an idol. Of any kind of image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them and worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Who will not tolerate your affection. Here it is. Your affection for any other God. There it is. The affection. You don't even know. You could have an affection or a desire for something else or someone else other than God that will replace him in your devotion, in your time, in your consecration. And that's how you can identify an idol. You want to know if you have an idol in your life? Here's what you do. Are you ready? Here's a, here's a key. Go without it for seven days. Go without. You ready? Don't get mad. Him and her for seven days. Him or her. Not him and her. (laughs) Hope that ain't you. Fast from whatever it is that is distracting you from God. It could be social media. It could be your subscription. I've got a good idea. Cancel your subscription to Netflix and make a subscription to Riverside Church. Just an idea, I'm just saying. We can do that here. Disney has it. Netflix has it. Hulu has it. Yes, I have all of them. But they're not my God. They don't stop me from praying. I'm not tempted to watch the wrong things. Because I let God deal with the Egypt a long time ago in my life. I don't know about you. I'm just saying, I, yes, right. I had a little Egyptian inside of me. Am I the only one? Nobody else has been through the wilderness? Have you ever said, oh, my God, I'm tired of this. I just want to go back. It's easier? I mean, we ha- that's our problem. We have a lot of options. It- it's not the things that are in the world that's a problem. It's a condition of the heart. And until you are tired of being sick and tired, then you make up in your mind, I am ready for change. I am ready for something new. I am ready for a new perspective. I am ready for a new place in my life. I'm, I'm tired of the wilderness. I've seen this over and over and over and over. You know what the definition of insanity is? It's the same thing being repeated over and over and over and over. And some of you may be going crazy. But I'm here to tell you, God has a promise for you. He wants you to leave that condition and enter into a new place. This is what God gives to us, but he's made it much easier. He gave it to people with hearts of stone, but it was a forthcoming of something. You see, in that old covenant, when God established the tabernacle, I'm going to go back to basics, just explain something to you. You know that the Ark of the Covenant, you know what the Ark of the Covenant was. You've seen Indiana Jones, right? You've seen, it deep, you've seen it taught here, right? In that box, which represented the presence of God, what was in one of the things that was in that box or in the presence of God was the tablets of stone, the law. That was a forth a prophetic insight to the future under a new covenant. How many of you remember we've taught here, now you are the temple of God. And you have the presence of God. So God put his word inside of you. And he calls us to follow him. Point number two. And the last point is this. God gave us a new way to follow him. I believe under an old covenant, the stone tablets represented stony hearts, rebellion, stubbornness. They could not experience the goodness of God because they had old affections. It was tough for them to do that, so they were looking for something greater, something better. The grace, a dispensation of a different time where God would change their hearts, change their minds. And here's what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah 31 and 31 said this. The day is coming, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the people, one I made. It will, This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors. When I took them from the, the, by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. It's not going to be the same. It's going to be a different covenant. They broke that covenant. Though I love them as a husband loves his wife. Sayeth the Lord, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, saith the Lord. Listen to this I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will be my people. Say, I belong to him. Belong. Say, he put his word on me. He put his word in me. And the scripture says it in a different interpretation. In the New King James, it says that God with his finger wrote his commandments on our hearts. Not on stone tablets. But a softened a soften and a compliable disposition of mercy and redemption. What makes us different. Is that we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and the blood of Jesus is shed brought in our hearts, and the goodness of God is shed brought in our hearts, and God's Spirit has softened us and made us pliable where we desire to follow after Him. You wanna know why most people, after they have an experience with God, begin to wanna to do good without them even understanding the Bible thoroughly? They just start lining up with God's Word. Is because within the Spirit of God is the Word of God. Within the Spirit of God is the Word of God. Let me show you this diagram very quickly. I'm almost done. Here's what happens, and this is the challenge. You cannot separate God's Spirit from His Word. When people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, are in the dimension of receiving from God, the presence of God, You can receive God in three dimensions. You can experience him when you come to church and feel something. That's why you get goosebumps. You can experience him in a soulless dimension, mind, body, and soul, mind, will, emotions. And you can have God. And you can maintain that feeling of God and the working of God through the studying and the complying. And it takes a lot of discipline. But sometimes at this dimension, people still come around because they fall into temptation because there's still a desire and there's still, tem- still, still some addictions there that they can't break loose of. But this is where the third dimension comes in, and God baptizes your spirit. So at these two levels, you've got God. At this level, God's got you. God's got every single part of your spirit man and being. And when God's got you and you surrendered to Him and fully complied to Him, not my will but your will be done, God takes full control of your heart. And there's evidence that follows with that. And the evidence of that as well is the complying and a walking according to God's will. That's called the grace of God to will and to do of His good pleasure. So you start to do that. But there's something that still needs to transpire. Because remember, you can be delivered from Egypt but still have an Egyptian heart or an Egyptian mindset. So the soul needs to change. And this is where God has preserved His written word for you and I to hold before us to, so our mind or our will can comply to the Spirit of God. And as the Spirit of God begins to move through our being From our spirit, the one thing that can restrict a flow of the spirit is the will, the mind, the soul. But once the word of God is taken to heart, you begin to comply. So here's the secret. I'm going to give you a key. How many of you want to have an awareness of God's presence every day? Raise your hand if you want to have an awareness of God's presence every day. Here's what you do. Not only do you pray in the Spirit every day, you read the Word every day consistently, every single day. It'll bring an awareness because your mind is in alignment with your Spirit. It'll change your prayer life, it'll give you strategy. The spirit of God will begin to teach you because the spirit can't use anything else outside of your thinking in your mind. But when you fill it with what's inside in a tangible state. You see, the book of John said in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Right. So the word comes from the Greek word logos. That means plan. God has a plan. If you want to see God's plan for your life, if you want to know God's plan for your life, he put it in you. Did you catch that? God has a plan, and he put it in you. But the only way to discover the plan is to release it and let it flow, but get your mind in alignment so God can reveal it to you. The word of God has strategies for your life. The Word of God has direction for your life. The Word of God has revelation for you to identify God for who He is and what He's going to do for you and in you and through you. But your mind has to be in alignment with it. That means when you decide that I'm going to study the Word of God, read the Word of God, you're allowing God to disciple you and teach you and grow you. And when that begins to happen... There is no restriction now in your life. And the third dimension, you begin to take action by faith. Faith without works is dead. But now you're taking action. You start serving. You start reaching out. You start acting. You start giving. You start praying. You start doing things because you're in complete compliance. The flow. Your greatest enemy is your mind, your thinking. If it's out of alignment, then let the word of God begin to dwell in you and begin to meditate on it day and night. And I promise you, if you'll add prayer with it, there's going to be a combustion, a flow. The dam is going to break, and there's going to be rivers of living water that begin to flow out of your life. And here's what I want to tell you. The spirit reveals and fulfills God's plan through his word. Remember that. Write that down. That's the conclusion. The spirit reveals and fulfills God's plan through his word. He put it in you already. He just needs you to cooperate with it. And things will begin to change. What don't you like in your life right now? What, don't, what do not you know right now about your life that isn't God's will? What do you see that needs God in it? It begins right here, and you need strategy for it, and you need secrets that only come from heaven. The mystery of God is revealed through the Holy Ghost. I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him, but The Holy Ghost has revealed them to us. If you want to change in your life, begin to change this and take the word of God and begin to keep on praying and keep on fasting and keep on believing. And I promise you, according to God's word, you're going to see changes around your family. You're going to see your children begin to come in order and alignment. You will reproduce after your own kind and reviving will hit your home. If it's dead right now, God will send a revival. If it's alive, right now it will mature it will grow it will begin to happen if you're resting and content in a wilderness experience ask God to show you the promised land and see how big the grapes are ask God to show you you're going to see giants but let me give you a secret to defeating giants you want to learn how to defeat giants and I'm going to close did I share this with this church already this service Okay, that was first service. Same crowd, different service. Here's how you defeat giants. Come on, Haley. David walked up to Goliath, and he said one thing. Who let this uncircumcised Philistine stand between God and his people and their promises? Who would dare defy the armies of the living God? This uncircumcised Philistine, he told the king, "Uh -uh, God's going to give him to me. I'm going to take him down. He identified one thing before he approached him, that the giant was in covenant with God, but he was. In other words, I don't care how big you are. I don't care what the problem looks like. You're not in covenant with God. I'm in covenant with God. When you're in covenant with God, you have the authority and the right to take reign in your region and in your life. And whatever giant is there can be taken down. But here's the second part. Not only did David address his covenant because he addressed his uncircumcision, which meant he was addressing his circumcision, his covenant. He was God's people. You got to know who you are. The second thing is, He said, you come to me with spear, sword, shield, all your armor. I come to you, watch this now, in the name of the Lord of hosts. God had given David a revelation of who he was. He said, I come to you in the name of heaven's captain army general my God who has never lost a battle who has a host of angels that's who you're dealing with today where did he get that revelation from where do you get your revelation from when you have a revelation from God you can approach every circumstance based on that revelation Without the word of God, you cannot have an effective prayer life. You need a revelation of who God is. And when you face opposition, you speak in that authority. And it doesn't matter what kind of weaponry you have, God will anoint it. It doesn't matter how skillful you are, God will anoint you. It doesn't matter how big you are, God will anoint you you're stepping in a revelation and your authority and your assignment and you know one thing that land belongs to us the name first Goliath he was called a champion the word champion means the land between two spaces he was the one thing that separated Israel from what God had promised what's the one thing that's separating you from what God has for you I'm here to tell you today it's coming down in Jesus name Come on, if you believe that, stand to your feet. It's coming down right now, right now.